Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. The title of the message today is going to be Salvation in Jesus. We talked about preparing a dwelling place for quite a while, and uh, so we moved off of that, went into Easter. We stood before the throne for a day, a one-hit wonder. It was, it was like vanilla ice, so just a one-hit wonder, and we moved on. I got to get some current references. All these are from my... I don't know any one-hit wonders from current stuff, but anyway, today we're going to talk about salvation in Jesus. So here at the Roads, we get excited about our Bibles. We believe that it is God-breathed, that it is inspired Word of God, so we get a little pumped when we open them up. So Carlinville, Mount Carmel, North City, let's get excited as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Woo! Romans chapter 10, salvation in Jesus. Sermon notes are in the worship guide or on the YouVersion Bible app. Note takers are world changers. Are you ready? <laughs> are you sure you're ready? <laughs> you, think, you think you are. You haven't heard the message yet. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, brethren, now one word in. I want to give a quick study tip on how we read the Bible. Always read the Bible in context. So whenever you read, you see the word brethren. Now we know who he's writing to. Brethren in the New Testament is a word uh, communicating to the, this was to the church in Rome. So he's writing to people at the church, believers, brethren. That's who he's speaking to, writing it to the church. It doesn't mean everyone in the church was born again, but he's writing it to a church setting. It says, brethren, my heart's desire, here's what he says to them, my heart's desire and prayer to God, or my heart's intention, my heart's delight or wish for you and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be what? They may be saved. So now how many knows the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit as far as written or inspired by God? So if Paul's writing it, then he's writing according to what the Holy Spirit is telling him to write. So if Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel to be saved. How many knows that it's also God's desire for Israel to be saved? So if it's Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God to be saved, and it's God's desire for people to be saved, how many knows it's important for us to know what it means to be saved? You're like, Chad, I got that one. That's an easy one. Well, in the Midwest, in the Bible Belt, we've been taught that the word saved traditionally just has one meaning. And that is to be born again or to get saved, right? We get saved. It's a thing we do. Forgiveness of sin, going to heaven, right? That's our concept of being saved. But I want to show you that that word has a little more definition to it, a little more broader application to it as we dig a little deeper. And I think, again, I'll add this. It's no accident that the New Testament was written when it was written, where it was written, that at that time, the Greek culture had spread all across the Middle East. And so there was one language that was dominant at that time, and it was the Greek language. And so the New Testament was written in this Greek language because it would cover more territory, more people would get it. But another facet of the Greek language is the Greek language is a wonderful expression of use. We have words like we use love, and we have one word for love. So we might love our spouse and love pizza. 
But in the Greek language, they don't do that. They, they have distinct words for different things that really bring things to life. So this is why we need to study the Greek language. It's not because we're trying to appear smarter than anybody else. It's just we're kind of trying to understand what the Holy Spirit was saying. So he said, my heart's desire, my prayer is that we'd be saved. What does that mean to be saved? That word saved there is the Greek word soteria, which is the noun form of the verb sozo. And you're like, already you've went over my head. Hold on. This is why I give you sermon notes. I'm going to try and be diligent and take time to build a case here because sometimes I study these things a lot and then I get really excited about them. And so I get up here and I go 100 miles an hour and I'm wondering why you're not excited because you're hearing it for the first time and you've not studied it. Maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe some of you are, but this word sozo means not just to be born again. It means to rescue, to save, to deliver, to heal, or to make whole. That's what sozo means. Now this is, his desire, his prayer to God is that they may be soteria. That's the noun. So if that's the verb form, the noun is the state or condition of being rescued in safety, in deliverance, in health, in wholeness. It's a state or condition of experiencing all of that. Are you with me? So it's like, this is what his prayer is. Well, when Paul says that his desire is for them to exist in this state or condition of being saved, rescued, delivered, healed, made whole, he's praying for that in every area of life, not just in forgiveness of sins. So now, he wasn't talking about them praying a prayer and checking a spiritual box. When he says, my heart's desire is for you to get saved, he wasn't talking about that one time when you came forward and prayed that prayer, I'm done with that. No, he said, my desire is for you to exist in a state or condition of being rescued, saved, delivered, healed, made whole. I want you to live there in every area of your life. That's saved. Saved is not about an event that happened when we were seven. And now I have nothing else to do with God or very little to do with God. It's more than that. He wanted them to live in this state or condition. But now here's what's important. I used to think living in this, once I began to understand what soteria, soteria was, then I thought, okay, so to live in this existence of being rescued, delivered, healed, made whole, that meant that I'm, and once I'm in that state or condition, I don't ever have to deal with those things. <laughs> I thought that was the goal. That's what I got to get to. I got to get to this place where, I, where I'm all these things. I'm, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm rescued. I'm delivered. I'm healed. I'm made whole. I, I want to get to that place. But here's what I, I came to understand. Existing in the state or condition of being saved, delivered, healed, made whole, rescued, is not, I say not determined by the absence of difficulties, challenges, opposition, or adverse circumstances. That's not what determines my condition. What determines my condition is being in relationship or connected to Jesus who is the rescuer, the savior, the deliverer, and the healer. So being saved, it's very important. I am considered saved based on who I'm connected to, not based on what I'm separated from. 
Come on, let's teach for just a moment. I'm not saved because I don't do certain things anymore. I cannot do certain things and still not be connected in relationship with Jesus. So what, it, what we're talking about here is that, that I'm connected to the rescuer. I'm not just wanting to be rescued. I'm connected to the Savior. I'm not just wanting to be saved. I, I'm not treating Jesus like a vending machine. Mm. Do we ever do that? So the, the, when we look at it like this, when we understand saved is connected to a person and not just what he gives. When we look at it wrongly, here's what will happen. We'll treat Jesus as our personal vending machine. That when we need something from God, we want to do whatever we need to do, push whatever buttons we need to push so that he'll spit out what I want him to spit out, how I want him to spit it out, when I want him to spit it out. That I really don't need to pray and read my Bible and have a connected relationship with Jesus. I just, when my marriage is a wreck, my kids are wrecked, my job's a wreck, or my health's a wreck, all of a sudden I need to pray to God, I need to come and have him give me what I want. God's not wanting us to live like that. That's not what saved is. Saved is connected to the rescuer. It's connected to the savior. I'm not coming for the healing. I'm coming for the healer. See, this is what happens when we treat him like the vending machine. When he doesn't do what we want, we get mad at him and we kick the vending machine and we walk away. Have you ever done that? Have you ever pushed the buttons, put in the quarter, the thing... And it gets stuck. Give me my candy bar. See, some people go crazy over a candy bar. Kicking it, banging it. Do we ever do that to God? I did the prayer thing. I, I quoted the scriptures. I've been going to church for three months now. And how come you're not doing what I want you to do? Okay, so evidently that don't work. I've been tithing for a solid month. (laughs) Evidently that doesn't work, so forget it. We get mad at God because he doesn't deliver the goods the way we want them delivered because we're not after the deliverer, we're just after the deliverance. We're not after the healer. We just want him to heal our body. We just want him to heal my marriage. Just fix my marriage and then get on with it. That's not being saved. I'm not supposed to come to God just for what he wants to, for what I want him to give me. I need, I don't need just rescued. I need the rescuer. I don't just need saved. I need the savior. I don't just need healed. I need the healer. Get connected to the person. That's what salvation is about. Salvation is a connection to him that's greater than anything else. John chapter 15 verse 5 says it this way. I am the vine and you are the branches. This is Jesus talking. He who abides. Everybody say abides. 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 Here's what that means. To stay. To continue. To dwell. To remain in a given state or relation. He who stays in relationship with me, he who continues in me, and I in him or her bears much fruit. For without me, 
What does without mean? The word without there means apart from or no relation to. So apart from relation to me, apart from connection with me, or separated from me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that apart from God we can do nothing? If we really, if we really believed, and I know that's the right answer, but if we really believed it, we would stay connected to him for everything. Instead... As long as everything's going is good, then I don't need him. I can skip church. I can watch online. Because culture has taught us now you don't need to be in church. You can just watch church. Like it's a TV show. That, that I, I don't really need God. But oh, man, it's, it's, oh, my life's just going to hell in a handbasket. I need Jesus. Absolutely need Jesus. Come to Jesus when that happens. But let's not live where we come to him only for crisis. He's much more than just a rescuer. I need peace. Because if we don't understand that we need to go to the person, the person, then we'll begin to go to whosoever source that will give us what we want. I just need peace in my life, so I'll take it however I can get it. Instead of going to the Prince of Peace, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll go to whatever means, maybe the bottle will give me some peace tonight. Are we getting too real? Do you want to just sing I'll Fly Away a few times and <laughs> talk about some religious stuff so we feel good about ourselves? I don't know. Well, we're just getting started. Praise the Lord. So without him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So if saved, if saved, follow me now. If saved, being in this state or condition is based on relational connection to the person of Jesus, then it cannot be based merely on an event that happened at one time. It cannot. If Truly, soteria, existing in the state or condition, is based on a relational connection to him. It cannot merely be based on something I did, past tense. It has to be based on a person I'm connected to, present, perfect tense. Well, I got saved when I was seven. Are you connected today? Are you trying to get me to question my salvation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you rather question your salvation now or question it when it's too late when you're standing before the throne of God? You're like, oh, I thought I was okay. And God says, hmm, no, it was about relationship and we had none. Why do you think he says, depart from me, I never knew you? Because we had no relationship. You said some words to me at one point. You went forward. That was great. But that was the door. That wasn't the end. That was the beginning of a relationship that I wanted to cultivate. Mm, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Some people, it's not a one-time event, nor is an accurate ideological position about him. Salvation is not just having the right idea about Jesus. Here's a question, or a statement, I guess I should say it this way. Some people are more secure in their theological position about Jesus than they are a relational position with Jesus. 
Here's what I'm saying. Some people are more secure in their theological position about him. They are rock solid in their beliefs. You can't budge them. Doesn't matter. I am rock solid. Then they are strong and based on their relational connection with Jesus. Some people would prefer and rather have a theological concept understanding about Jesus than an intimate relationship with Jesus. They want the security of being able to say what they know. I know this, I know this, I know this. They want that security of what I know. But a relational connection brings mystery into someone who created the universe that I couldn't possibly fathom what he thinks about. And I'm willing to open my heart up into that mystery and say, I have no idea what he's saying to me right now, but I'm trusting him with my life. Mm. Look at, so is it possible? Is it possible? What if, what if some people are secure in their position, their theological position, but that position is not accurate? Let's look at verse 2. We're only going to get through a couple of verses today. Hope that's okay. Verse 2, he says, for I bear them witness. Again, again, this is a people that he says, I've desired that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Everybody say zeal. Zeal for God. Zeal for who? For God. Doesn't say zeal for Satan. They've got a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. They've got a zeal for God. What does zeal mean? Zeal means to have a deep devotion or a fervor. Like a passion about it. Like... I'm committed to this. This is a deep-rooted belief and passion. Is it possible to have a zeal for God, but yet that zeal not be accurate? Is it possible for people to have an intense desire to be deeply devoted to a belief, but yet that belief be misguided? So they got a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What does that knowledge mean? That word knowledge there means personal acquaintance with or full discernment. So here's what he's saying. They have a zeal for God. They, they, they got a fervor, but they have no personal acquaintance with me. Therefore, they don't have full discernment. Let me put that pieces together for you. I, without a personal relationship with Jesus, I will not have full discernment on everything that he wants me to see in his word. Without an intimate, personal relationship, I will not get full discernment. What do I mean by that? I can have a certain knowledge about God. I can know this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, backwards and forward. I can know all of it. But if I don't have a personal acquaintance with him, I will not get his character and nature out of the word. This is what the Pharisees had. Pharisees didn't have any trouble with knowing the Bible, knowing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, New Testament. They ran together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knew, thank you, thank you. He knew all of them. They knew all of them. They memorized those five books. Did you hear me? Have you ever read Leviticus? They memorized it. They had no trouble knowing the word, but they didn't have a personal acquaintance with the one the word is pointing towards. Oh, I've got to go. 
So is it possible to be deeply devoted and have a fervor for something and still be misguided? Let me say this. Zeal alone is not confirmation of accuracy. Just because someone has a zeal for something, they're passionate about something, they're deep. I believe this 100% whole That doesn't mean it's accurate. Here's what I mean by that. The problem in the church, and it's been going on for decades. It's not something new. We like to have these blasts of the moment like it's something brand new. But it's just been heightened in these last few years. The zeal in the church has been withdrawn. Because the world said that that zeal was hateful. The world, the the non-godly begin to tell the godly how to act. The ones who didn't follow the kingdom, didn't follow Jesus, begin to tell those who were followers of Jesus what they could say, how they could say it, and when they could say it. And the church began to say, oh, well, I don't want to offend. I don't want to come across hateful. So let me just back up and change my verbiage, change my position so that I don't offend anyone. God never said, make sure that you never say anything that people think is offensive. So Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Let me read verse 3, and we'll come back. We're going to get this next week. For they being ignorant, remember they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, for they being ignorant of whose righteousness? God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Oh, come on. Are you with me? So they being ignorant, how do we become become ignorance of God's righteousness? When we become biblically illiterate. When we spend more time streaming videos than reading the Bible. That's when we become ignorant of God's righteousness. When I spend more time on Snapchat than I do reading my Bible, I'm going to become ignorant of God's righteousness. When I spend more time, I, I don't use Snapchat very much. Maybe it's just not my generation thing. I've tried, and here's what I struggle with the most. Whenever I open it up, I didn't ask for this. I don't know how you edit it. Maybe there's a way. But when I open it up, the articles and the pictures that come up right there, I can't look at that. I can't say, maybe you say I'm just weak. Maybe I'm just not strong enough. But I don't need to see a half-naked woman just when I open up Snapchat. I don't need to see an article that tells me something that's ungodly. I I don't need that just to open it up. And again, I'm not criticizing other people. I'm just saying, for me, I can't do that. So if I spend more time letting those things tell me what's right and what's wrong, and I don't spend time in the Word, it's no wonder I'm going to be ignorant of God's righteousness. Because here's what's happening right now. There's a way that seems right. Seems right to a... You can put it in a woman. Let's just say a person. And I'm not trying to do that to get into the gender deal. There, is, there are two genders, male and female. But I'm saying here, there's a way that seems right. Has anybody ever felt like or seemed like they were right in the moment until they figured out they were wrong? You know, anybody ever 
felt like you had it figured out. This is exactly how they're, what's happening. This is exactly their motive until you ask somebody else. Have you ever had someone that you thought this is how that person felt about you based on what somebody else said that they feel about you until you asked them and you found out, wow, I've been ticked off at you for a long time and they were lying. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt like you... Everybody felt like you had... uh, the wrong perception of what your spouse meant by their look. You see where I'm going? Married people are laughing. The single people are like, just wait, just wait. Just the, the, way, the way she shut the cabinet, the way he shut the cabinet, the way he, the way he walked, What does that mean? Anybody ever said, oh, I guarantee you, I know what they mean. But then you found out that maybe your guarantee is not as good as you thought it was. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I mean by that. There can be a way that seems so right and can still be wrong. That's what's happening in our culture right now. Quickly, let me give you an example. It's happening in in Disney. The entertainment giant has now making, made a position. They've taken a position where they said by the end of this year, they want at least 50% of their regular characters to represent the LGBTQ community. This is Disney. This is our little children watching Disney. That in the movie, um, it's, um, what's it called? Um, it's an offshoot of Toy Story Lightyear, I think that they've reinstated a gay kiss into the movie. And if you'll watch Disney movies, even Marvel movies, they're starting to, not starting, they're introducing more and more an agenda in the name of entertainment. And who are they after? And I say they, I'm not talking about people. Hear me out. When I'm, a, when I'm talking about sin, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about spirits. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about people because I'm a people, all right? But here's what Kerry Burke says, president of Disney General Entertainment, of General Entertainment Content. She formerly worked for Freeform. Maybe you've heard of that channel. Said, nobody stopped us at Freeform. It felt great. In part, I think nobody stopped us because we were targeting Gen Z and millennials. They were targeting them. Burke added that the generations being targeted were younger and more open-minded. There's a a strategy that the enemy has right now. And the zeal of the church is being pushed back into a corner because we don't want anybody to think we're hateful. Listen, I don't want anybody to think I'm hateful either. But I'm not here. I'm not going to answer to God for how many people that ended up liking me. I'm going to answer to God... Did I follow his righteousness? Did I submit to his? Or did I conform to culture and let culture tell me what was right or wrong? That's what I'm going to answer for. I don't know what's going to get people to come. I don't know whether it's going to make people mad and they're not going to leave. I'm not here to grow the church. I'm here to preach the word of God. That's it. I don't mean that mean. I'm not mad. I'm just telling you my motive. 
Because who's going to be loving enough to tell people that this isn't what God wants for you? Who's going to be loving enough to tell the LGBTQ community this is not God's design? That God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. That's not hateful. That's just the Bible. I didn't write the Bible. This isn't our beliefs merely as the church. It's Moses wrote about it. Jesus wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. That's three pretty heavy hitters in the Bible. All of them said a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. It's clear. Romans chapter 1, that they left what is natural and began to burn with passion for one another and do what was unnatural. So who's going to teach that? Well, here's the problem. Culture is putting the full court press on our young people and telling them, hey, you younger open-minded people, it's too late to get to those bigoted, closed-minded old people. That's what they say. I've been called a bigot. I've been called closed-minded. I've been called a Republican. I've been called all kinds of junk. It's always a little insulting to me when people call me a Republican. I'm like, hmm. That insults my intelligence a little bit, but that's okay. People are going to have their own opinions. My, my beliefs are not based on a political party. I don't care what any political party believes. I care what this says. So I'm going to go down. I'm not going to let culture tell me, well, this is what we should believe now. We have preachers today in pulpits telling people that it's okay. God makes some people homosexual. It's just the way he made them, and it's okay. No, no, no. It's not the way he made them. Now, they may have certain temptations, certain desires, certain lusts, and certain issues they have to overcome. Welcome to the club. It's called being born again. Once I get born again, that old nature dies. I crucify that. I bury that. And I'm raised to walk in newness of life. I had lusts and desires and issues that I have to crucify and say no to. Well, I just naturally feel this way. I understand. That's called the flesh. Now crucify it and submit your life to Jesus. If I told you all the things that I've had to overcome, all the things that I've had to submit, all the things that I have to put underneath the cross, that I have to crucify that thing daily, you're not going to rise up. You're not going to resurrect. I crucified you in the name of Jesus. So that temptation, that desire, I bind you in Jesus' name. We have to live like this. So now we got to understand how God wants us to view it. In Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Do you understand we're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? I'm not going to take advice from someone who believes that pedophilia is an orientation and is natural. I'm not going to hate them. I'm not going to be mean to them. I'm just not going to walk in your advice. You give me medical advice and you believe that killing babies is okay, God bless you, I love you, but I'm not going to take your medical advice. That's unmean. I'm just following Psalm 1. Like, well, now we can't be that. Why not? That's what it says. Someone that believes that pedophilia, but here's what happens. Here's what happens. We've been duped into thinking that our convictions are hateful and bigoted because they begin to teach us 
to not look at what the word says, but look at the people themselves. Here's what I mean. We'll say, well, but they're nice people. So it can't be bad. I mean, they're good people. I have friends and family that do not like what I'm saying right now. But I'm not saying it to get at them. I'm saying it to honor him. And we say, well, they're they're really nice people though. They are. You don't have to be evil idiots (laughs) to not live godly. There are, I'm I'm going to blow some minds here. There are some wonderful people that beat their wives every day. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. They sit in church every Sunday. Oh, I'm going to get real on you. I used to be a little timid, but it's, the Lord's burning it out of me. But, but I, there, there, there are good people, wonderful people, nice as can be that watch child pornography every day. But you wouldn't know it. Well, he's just a great guy. Man, he's great. Yeah, and he goes and watches child porn where children are being sex trafficked. But they're a good guy. There are wonderful people that are sitting in church and having sex outside of marriage. But they're wonderful people. They're wonderful people, great personalities that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. But you wouldn't know it on the surface. They're wonderful people that walk in such bitterness and unforgiveness that they're eaten up on the inside, but you would never know it. How much more do we need to go? Do you understand? But we've been told that I judge whether something's right or wrong based on how good the people are. It's not how good the people are. It's how good he is. He's not saying homosexuality or fornication or or bitterness, unforgiveness. All of these things are wrong because he's evil, because he's angry. He's saying it because there's a way that seems right, but the end is death. And he's telling you, run from that. Flee from that. Come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But they'll use words like this. They'll try and dupe you. Words like inclusion. We're for diversity and inclusion. So therefore, if you don't agree with our agenda, you are not for diversity, and you are not for inclusion. I'm just not going to be duped anymore. Because I'm a part of the most inclusive society in the world. Because my Bible says, for God so loved the world, not the churchy people, the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whoever, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. Whoever, fornicator, drunkard, doesn't matter. Drug dealer, pornography addicted, whoever, whoever would believe on him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, salvation in Jesus, the world might be sozoed, rescued, delivered, healed, made whole. 
So here's what I'm praying for, that some zeal would come back in the church. Not angry, gosh, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. My heart, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, give me your love to preach truth because I wanna see people that are deceived, that thinking it's okay what they're doing. It's not okay, repent. Repent, get out of sin, run away from that and run to the cross, run to this altar and submit your life to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. I walk away from lust and perversion and I choose you, Jesus. Some zeal, because I don't believe, we'll talk about this more next time, but when we become ignorant of God's righteousness, we begin to establish our own. And we begin to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't see any problem with that. I've been doing it for decades. It's okay to have sex before marriage. You gotta kind of kick the tires. We get too plain in church. I mean, how am I gonna know if we don't spend some time together? We need to live together for a little while and kind of feel it out. It's not what the Bible says. There's a way that seems right. Now, if you say, if you're in any of those situations, oh, so you're just judging me. Nah, too late. That stuff used to get us to back up. Just because you declare the truth doesn't mean you're judging anybody. Saying this is the truth of the word of God. It's not my rules. It's not my heaven, it's his. And he determines how we get in. I don't. You don't. I don't have a say-so on the rules of getting into heaven. I don't get a vote. I don't get to say, well, Lord, here's what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to let this in. I think you ought to. I don't get a vote. It's his heaven. It's his rules. And his rule is this. Salvation is only through connection to Jesus. That's it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.